Welcome to the Our Safe Harbor Church podcast. Here you can listen to our Sunday sermon, Monday morning message, and midweek Bible study. We hope you will consider subscribing, sharing, leaving a review, but please be sure to check out our website at www.OurSafeHarbor.com to learn more about us and find ways to get involved. Our Safe Harbor Church, we are with you wherever you are. Welcome back to the Midweek Bible Study. We are in Hebrews chapter 3 today, starting right off at verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and high priest whom we confess. Uh, Already, i got to stop here. If you're you're new to the Midweek Bible Study, what we do is we're going through the New Testament in the order in which the books were written, a clump of them were written about the same time. And so we did First Peter, now we're doing Hebrews, and then we'll go back and take Second Peter and Jude. They were all written very close to each other. Why am I stopping here? The idea of fixing your eyes and what that means. Jesus said, if your eye is single, then your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye be many, then you'll be full of darkness. It's a Semitic proverb that we have trouble getting so I'll help you here. Let's say that you've got a a student who is looking forward to leaving home and going to university in the fall. Well when they do um, they're going to need to fix their eyes and you're going to need to help them develop the focus. Our phones devices and such have really hurt us when it comes to focus and so we need to learn how to focus and one of the things I used to do when I worked uh, at this one place for several years was to get the graduating seniors to write just a page, who I am in, and it would write the year that they were supposedly gonna graduate. You know, we assume a four-year degree here in the United States. It can be three years in other countries. It can be five years in other countries, and it can last a lot longer in reality, according to how they buckle in, but here we go. Now, it sounds bad grammar to say who I am in four years, but I wanted it to be written as if in the present tense. And you have just graduated, you've just reached your goal. Describe who you are. It talks about, I'm a person who has this degree. I'm a person who's really good at this job. I'm a person who's kept moving here. And I asked them to read it once a month. Now, I don't know how many did, but several did and told me that it was very, very useful, at least the first year or so, to keep their eyes focused. Because when you get on the campus and you need to get over to the library because you need to read this book and there are other things you've got to take care of through the week and yet people are yelling, there's a party over here, there's a pretty girl or a handsome boy over here that says, hey, want to come over and let's let's have fun, Um, let's go to this concert. It is so easy to lose your focus that for many people, a college degree just turns out that they were babysat in a place where they had access to sex and alcohol for four years. It doesn't mean that they have the knowledge to function in a complex society. Sad, but we all know this is true. And this is, this is why brick and mortar universities are also struggling, just as brick and mortar churches are, uh, but for different reasons. So, fixing your eyes. 
I've told this story before, but I'm not sure it was on a Wednesday uh, midweek Bible study, so I'll, I'll be brief though. I was learning to fly in a little two-seater airplane. I'm not a pilot. I haven't flown a small plane in, what, 40 years now, 35 years? But back then, this was the thing that I was really enjoying. And we were coming down to learning how to land. And, and this may surprise you, but airplanes really like flying. And therefore you've got to, you've got to talk them in to coming down and landing where you want them to land. And so we're coming down and I'm thinking everything's looking great. And we hit, we don't really hit, we just touch tires and we balloon. And we touch tires and then we ballooned. And we touch tires and the instructor says, full throttle, go around. You can only balloon so many times before you know into the runway, which is considered suboptimal. So slam the throttle forward, we go around. Now this happened, I'm if I remember correctly, three different go-arounds. I was getting frustrated. And I, maybe it was on the third one that he says, Oh, I see what you're doing. I said, What? What am I doing? And he goes, You're looking down. I looked over at him and I says, down's where I wanted to be. I'm trying to get down, therefore I'm looking down. And he goes, you will always bounce and be all over the place unless you look at the far end of the runway, focus there. That made zero sense to me, absolutely zero sense. So imagine my aggravation and disappointment with the universe when it worked every time. He said, you don't look at where you're going, you're looking at where you want to end up. And I was thinking, I got, he was a Vietnam vet that had PTSD before we knew what to call it and was really messed up, but he was a good pilot instructor, a good um, CFI. And here this guy has just given me a piece of philosophy that could have come from uh, Aristotle himself. You don't look at where you're going, you look at where you want to end up. The story of Jesus is where I want to end up. It's where I focus. If I get confused by something Paul said or something that was said or done in the book of Numbers, I look at Jesus. And that's exactly what this writer is saying. And by the way, it, it is amazing to me because the NIV does work to make the language inclusive when the language allows it to. They're not pushing an agenda. They're just trying to bring it into the way we read and understand things. In this book, brothers keeps getting hit. There are some who say, well, that means it had to be a man that wrote it, but I'm not even thinking it could be Priscilla saying, cause she, she taught Apollos and she taught a lot of other people saying, all right guys, here it is. But regardless of that, fix your eyes on Jesus. We have so many songs, turn your eyes upon Jesus. You know, just look there. If, if you look around at the trouble in the world, you're gonna be full of fear. John Bunyan's fascinating book, The Pilgrim's Progress, had a lot to do with my understanding of right and wrong. And, and he did get it wrong in a lot of ways because his religion was such a narrow one. But it's an amazing story. And, and if you can get a modern day version of it, Please do so. I've had people say, ooh, I saw, I saw the movie. Okay, um, but it might be better to sit with it for a few weeks while you're reading it. He has this young man named Christian 
who lives in this horrible city. He is full of sin and he wants, he has this huge burden and he wants the burden removed. He's told there's only one way to get it removed. You have to go to the celestial city and it's on this path and it's a narrow path and their dangers never leave the path. I was 11, 12 years old when I read it first in the original, the old. Um, and it was profound. Keep your eyes where you want to end up. Because if you put your eyes off the path, you're gonna end up going there. You've seen it. You've ridden with people who when they're driving, where they look is where the car starts going. My dad did that the last four or five years before he stopped driving. And it was frankly terrifying because he felt like he needed to talk and point things out and share wisdom with whoever was in the car all the time. You see that bird over there? Okay, that farm is just, and we're going, no. Put your eyes on Jesus, because that's where you want to end up. All right? Okay, let's keep going. He was faithful to the one who appointed him just as Moses was faithful in all God's word. Okay, we're gonna go to Moses now. Hebrews and the book of Matthew use Moses a lot to compare and contrast with Jesus because Moses was their superhero. He was the giver of the law. He was the one that freed them from bondage. He, he's, he's just absolutely their superhero. And so many of them thought, just as the apostles did at the transfiguration, that saying Jesus was equal to Moses and Elijah was a huge compliment to Jesus and that he would be, oh, ever so proud and ever so happy that they, you lifted him up as high as Moses. And God stops Sparty by saying, you listen to him. And Hebrews is going to do it more gently uh, because God's not breaking in here, but the writer is gonna make sure you understand and, and these people understand, one greater than Moses has come. That's also scripture. Here we go. Jesus has bound, been found worthy of greater honor than Moses. See, there it was, there it was. You thought you were gonna have to look it up. Just as the builder of a house is, has greater honor than the house itself. In other words, Jesus built Moses. You think Jesus is as good as Moses? He built Moses. Now, quite the shocker. There had been in the crowd right now going, oh, ooh, oh, We often don't think about how the people responded to some of this stuff. <coughs> I do. I think it's interesting. I think it also kind of rounds out the power of the words. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all his house, testifying to what would be said in the future. But Christ is faithful as a son over God's house. And we are his house if we hold on to our courage and the hope of which we boast. Whew, take a deep breath. This is super good news. Did you miss it? This is incredible good news. Let, let's, let's do it in a way that it isn't, okay? All right, here we go. Christ is faithful as the son over God's house, and we are his house. If we believe the right things and do the right things and say the Bible things in Bible ways and do the Bible things in Bible... No, I didn't say that. All right, we're gonna, gonna try it again. But Christ is faithful as a son over God's house, and we are faithful if we belong to the right church, we're baptized in the right way, 
and we believe the right things about the big doctrines. No, that's not in there either. So what's in there? Here's the good news. But Christ is faithful as a son over God's house, and we are his house if we hold to our courage and the hope of which we boast. What's the hope? He's already done that. That Jesus is now our brother. God has, has leapt across the gap and bridged it and brought us into the family. And God says, I am proud of my children. And we're his children. Have courage, boast of that. And that's what being faithful men in this verse. How very different, how very different from the rules of men that are often made as if they were the rules of God. So, and here we go, bunch, bunch of scriptures, poems, and hymns this writer puts together. So as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Again, this is a Jewish audience, so he's talking about back in the day when they rebelled in the desert. During the time of testing in the desert where your fathers tested and tried me and for 40 years saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation and I said, their hearts are always going astray and they've not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. Now if you're a Bible person, you know exactly what he's talking about. If you're not, when the Jews were freed from Egypt it only took them a year to get to Canaan. But when they saw that they were gonna to have to fight for it, they got scared and they wouldn't cross over. So God said, then none of this generation gets to enter Canaan. So they wandered around for another 39 years. And then the next generation comes up and led by Joshua, they go in. See to it brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Once again, it is not talking about precision obedience, and it's not talking about the name on the door or where and how you worship him on a Sunday. He's saying, don't turn away from God. Look at him. Keep your eyes on him. Like Jesus said, ask, seek, and knock. Keep focused where you want to end up. Encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. A couple things there. What does it mean for as long as it's called today? It means don't get tired of encouraging each other all day long. Should I be encouraging my brother who looks a little down? Well, is it day? Does the name of the week have a Y in it? Sorry, English speakers only for that. Um, yeah. General rule, be as patient with other people as you want God to be patient with you. Put that on a t-shirt. Also, the sin's deceitfulness. I think we, most of us that are listening to this are old enough to know that sin always promises you something it cannot deliver. If you lie, you'll impress the girl. But then the girl, you want to keep her forever, she's going to find out about the lies. If you lie and cheat, you can get a good grade on this test. Yeah, but then you don't have the knowledge. You left without the knowledge, you've cheated yourself and you're unprepared for what comes next. Interesting that education is the only thing that we want to get less than what we paid for. 
So if the professor goes, we're not having class today, woohoo! Or the gym teacher who teaches math on the side says, we're gonna watch a movie today, woohoo! We don't want to get what we paid for, want the easy road, but then you're spat out the other end into a world that is complex, dangerous, and you'd better know how to handle something. Did you learn? They're counting on you not learning. If I, I mean, the commercials, I keep seeing commercials aimed at people. I'm going, who, who's the target demo for this? And are they smart enough to turn on a TV and know what's going on? I mean, it's just, they dumb everything down. Don't be that person. Don't cheat yourself. Encourage, don't, don't allow sin and its deceit to pull you off the path. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first. It is faith in Christ. Our confidence in Christ. Is it faith alone? James says no. But it is faith. And when we start with the faith and, it's really simple to fall into a Jesus and religion, which is just not right. Keep your eyes on Jesus. As has just been said today, he quotes himself again. He's actually quoting back in Psalm 95. Today, if you harden not, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in a rebellion. Who, who were they who heard and rebelled? <coughs> were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And, and with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned? whose bodies fell in the desert. And, and to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if, they, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. The faith in Jesus, friends, that's the keystone. That's the foundation. That's what, Pete, that's what Jesus said, that's the rock that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. That's what we hold to. And while I have changed my position on so many things, and again, that Monday morning message I told you about that's coming up um, on the 20th February, or if you're listening late, on back, to, and that'd be 2023 if you're listening way back, uh, is I, I could have done 30 of those, talking about the changes that I've made because I've learned, and I learned old arguments weren't valid, and I learned new ways of reading scripture that are more accurate and more in context. I had to change a lot, but the story of Jesus hasn't budged an inch except to go up in my estimations. And that's what, he, that's what this writer keeps pointing you to, focus on Christ. And he's saying, listen, you talking again to the Jewish believers and probably the unbelievers at this time. He's saying, listen, following Moses wasn't enough. They died in the wilderness because they sinned. What was their sin? They disbelieved. God said, I'll give you the land. They didn't believe him. Do you believe Jesus? How can we tell? What's in your life? Now that's a very unfair comment, I'm aware of that. So be aware I said it to shock and to work its way in. But again, if you're elderly or ill and you're in bed, 
getting caregivers, you can't get out of the house except to go see the doctor, you might, you might start feeling guilty all of a sudden. How can people, no, don't know. They'll know. If you believe in Jesus, you'll treat people a certain way. You'll respond certain ways. And um, So while I'll say a couple things to shock, I do try to tell you it's unfair that I'm shocking you. I uh, hope that helps confuse everybody in the room. Here we go. Chapter 4. Look how we're zipping through. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us... Oh, that's cool. Had this whole big thing set up and people failed, wouldn't go. Jesus says the, the offer still stands. God says offer still open. Let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. Again, think of the context. Most people, when Jesus ascended, thought he was going to come right back. And he didn't. Now the apostles are dying. Some of them very horrific deaths. And persecution is rolling through. A lot of people are, you know, I believe, I believe, I, I guess I don't now. And he's saying, don't do that. Don't fall short. You got to get all the way there. It's like a basketball team that's getting beaten 30 to 5. Still get on the court. Don't check out. Take the shot. Do what you need to do. Stay in the game. Put your eyes where you want to end up. I, I tell you, every little, every, every little boy all the way up through high school and college boy that plays golf with his dad or with his buddies, maybe even on a golf team at school, every putt they make in their head is the putt to win the Masters. They got their eyes focused on something because if they don't, you can tell. It's just the ball's not going to go where they want it to go because they're, they're not focused. Jack Nicholas once was, um, those of you of a certain age, Jack Nicholas was one of the greatest golfers that ever lived. Uh, I watched him uh, play a skins game on television. And a skins game is where, I don't even want to go into it, your, your, uh, your prize money when goes up. If nobody wins the hole, it's added to the next hole. And there was a par three. There's a beautiful par three over a lot of water, elevation change. And he was there, he was going through his pre-swing routine. Uh, he stops, he has, has that final look at the hole that he did with the, the way he tilted his head. Uh, and somebody made a noise in the crowd. And he just stopped and he backed up and looked over. And you could hear a little bit of chuckling because he wasn't gonna yell. Uh, and. Everybody understood it wasn't intentional. And once everybody quieted, he started his routine again. But before he did, he looked up and he goes, and it was a good shot too. In his head, he'd already gone there. In his head, he'd already made the swing, watched the ball, watched it land, check up, and it was a great shot. I've thought of that a lot, thinking, Christians, why don't we wake up like that? It's going to be a great way to end. This day is going to go well because Jesus is in it. We're going to find a way to make Jesus win today. Just a thought. Let's go on. Now, 
so don't fall short. For we also have had the good news, the gospel preached to us, just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them because those who heard it did not combine it with faith. Can you see why I love this book? My goodness. There's a class on theology, philosophy, and psychology in every verse. Now, we who have believed enter that rest. Remember, he's using coming across the desert and entering Canaan as a metaphor for us entering rest with God, peace with God, our eternal life with God. So I he goes and says this, so I declared an on oath in my anger, they will never enter my rest. That he, that's, a, that's the callback to the wilderness story. And then the author goes on and says, but yet his work has been finished since the creation of the world. Stop the presses. Wait, God's not creating any more stuff? That's right. Since the creation of the world, we know in physics that atoms are not created or destroyed. Matter, atoms can be broken down into subatomic particles, but they're all still there. And they all still rearrange. Somehow, sometimes super violently, like when we split them or fuse them in bombs. God help us, literally. But all matter and all energy have existed since the first moment of creation and cannot be created anymore or destroyed. Those are the first two laws of thermodynamics and they are well attested and well proven. So when I, I read this, the work has been finished since the creation of the world. I'm going, wow. I, I doubt that the writer was thinking of atoms and energy, but inspired by God, he got in there. For somewhere, I love it again, somewhere, he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. And on the seventh day, God rested from all his work. And again, in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. It still remains that some will enter that rest and those who formerly had the gospel preached to them did not go in because of their disobedience. Therefore, God again set a certain day, calling it today, now. When a long time later he spoke through David and was said, as was said before, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. I'll just simplify this passage by saying, set before you are two choices. Believe and obey or don't. The old song, trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. It, is, it going to be, is it going to be difficult? Yes. Remember he said courage. He brought up courage. He's fair. So let's go back and this war metaphor of crossing into Canaan. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. What is going on here? There's a shift here. This is not our rest. This is not our final place. Our Sabbath rest waits for us. You'll see that here in a bit. Our Sabbath, does it mean we can't do Sabbath? No, no, I think you should. On Saturday, not necessarily. When you can, you should make room for Sabbath. They could be small things, such as we have a room in our house where no electronics go. Uh, just They just don't. And then we have times where they're turned off to rest from that. But there are other rests. I take time. I, people are always worried about the uh, the pace of work I've set for myself. 
I take time to read, to sit, to enjoy, to go watch a game that my grandsons are playing. These are necessary. God knows we need rest. There are some of you that feel guilty every time you rest. I'd like to tell you, stop and think that that would affect a change in your life, but I doubt that it will. Just be aware, God made you so that you need rest, so resting is not something to feel guilty about. I remember I had, first, first moved back to America, I, I was allergic to everything and was sick all the time. Lost my voice all the time, and I talked to my doctor, and I said, I'm just, I don't understand why I keep getting sick. And he looked at me and he goes, Patrick, you're allowed to be sick. You're allowed to need to rest. Well, that was a hard thing to hear. Because when I was a boy, if I felt sick, it was you know, kind of like you're ashamed. Because you had, no, you're, you're, you're doing this work. You're going to school, you're doing it. And to hear the doctor later say, no, you, it's all right. Lay down, rest. Hmm. Well, God's been saying that since, well, day seven. Moving on, moving on. Uh, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. Don't be like the people in the wilderness. Trust and obey. Trust and obey. Why? Well, let's do this in the last minute or two we got, all right? For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in God's creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Now, most of you, all of your life, have been told that this, the Word of God, means the Bible. But John chapter 1 says the Word of God means Jesus. Now, I want you to spend some time this week reading this passage, thinking of the words, life, and mission of Christ rather than a book. The words, life, and mission of Christ are sharper than any double-edged sword penetrating even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. He judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart for nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Jesus is not only over all, he is in all and through all. Wow. Think about the word of God being Jesus, as was said in John 1. Now, does that mean this absolutely cannot refer to Scripture? Oh, I wouldn't go that far. I think Jesus' tracks in Scripture can be found. But it is Jesus where we look because it's Jesus where we want to end up because Jesus is the only one who can give us true rest. Thank you for being with us. We're going to stop right there and start next week with Jesus being our high priest. God bless you. If you have questions, Patrick Mead at rsafeharbor.com. Please subscribe. Please share this with others. Let them know it's only a half hour. It'll be all right. And they, they might even have a good time. Cheers.